Who are you? I said, who are you? They're the Rewinders podcast, Duke. The man sent him in here. Something's going down. We need him. The Rewinders podcast. I've heard of you. Heard you were dead. Hello, I'm Joe. I'm Ken. I'm Snake Pliskin. I'm Dan. And we are the Rewinders Podcast, rewinding and rebooting movies to see if they hold up. And this time, we crashed into Escape from New York. So, who has history with this movie? Because I don't. Neither do I. The only history I've had is everybody knowing about it and everybody loving it and me wondering, oh, what's that movie about? (laughs) I finally watched it for the first time, like, five years ago, maybe. This past week was the first time that I'd ever watched this movie and. The people that I know are always talking this movie up, so I was like, I went in expecting this to be, like, good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I made the mistake of watching, uh, I I didn't think it made any canonical difference, so I stupidly watched Escape from L.A. first, and holy shit, did I make a mistake? (laughs) But, uh, yeah. Personally, I used to watch a lot of Kurt Russell movies as a child because he was in Disney a lot. And my mom would occasionally be like, ooh, he was good in Escape from New York. I was like, that's a weird thing to say. She, you, you should watch it, you know, when you're older. Wait till you're grown up, then you can watch it. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then I went back as an adult and I was like, she said I should watch this movie. I was like, oh, and Escape from L.A. was the one I, I accidentally picked. And I thought I remember enjoying that. And then uh, I did go back and watch this uh, one for a podcast again. And it was uh, it was a movie. It was something I watched. <laughs> I want my uh, hour. Wait, hang on. I have a note. Exactly how much time I wasted watching this movie. Dan, this is the thing you're supposed to hold for the end no, of the podcast. No, I have nothing good to say you about this movie. You don't start the podcast with this. <laughs> so does does anyone have a history with John Carpenter movies in general? Yes. Yes. No. I I love John Carpenter movies. That was another reason why I went go I, I was expecting this to be better than it was. John Carpenter should stick to doing horror films. Horror films. See, now I'm not exactly on board with that statement because Big Trouble in Little China is not a horror movie. Agreed. I've never seen it. So I'd have to watch that. But is wonderful. Agreed. And they live as more of a sci-fi horror, if Correct. anything. It kind of feels more like Escape from New York, just with the sci-fi element. But yeah, I wouldn't agree that he needs to stick to horror. Just now, to be fair, in this movie, he did try to bring in a horror element with a uh, zombie-esque run through the city and people. Yes, get the eaten. cannibals in the middle. That was pretty cool. So um, yeah, before we get too carried away, um, things we liked. I guess who's got a who's got a oh, pitch? Oh, pitch! Hey, I'll do it. Uh, All right, go for it. <laughs> oh, because I'd I'd tear this movie apart. <laughs> Gentlemen, yes. Just imagine if hippies stole the president and crashed him into New York. 
Oh my god. God damn hippies. Now imagine the hippies doing this when, let's just say New York is not a free and open city. It's like a walled prison. And no one goes wait, 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 out wait. of this walled prison. All of New York? Because that's, that's kind of a big that's place. A big money and, maker. And the Hudson. That's, that's and the Hudson money. River. <laughs> who, who built this wall? Well, I think I think maybe we should just stick to, like, maybe the island of Manhattan. Okay. Well, when I say New York, I mean New York City. And not just... You got me. All right. Manhattan. Fine. It's an island. It works. <laughs> And uh, this is like not just common day. It's it's kind of like this 1997 world where crime has run amok, because we all know in our today 1980s world, crime is just taking off, and this is where we're eventually headed. It's those damn kids worshiping Satan. Uh huh. Who knows? There might be Hunger Games coming up afterwards too. Mm. But I'm getting ahead Wait, of myself. What's a what's a Hunger Game? Uh, I I'm just talking out my butt right now. I don't know. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, so the only way to get the the president out because the president can never die ever. Historically speaking, all presidents are still alive. <laughs> we need to get him out of this Manhattan prison. So we send in the one criminals fighter hero that everyone knows. But no one believes is still alive to go get the president out. Jackie Chan. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who is Jackie Chan at this point? I don't know if Jackie Chan was that popular in 1980. Charles Bronson. But maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I hear click, 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 click. I'm Googling. Give me a minute. It's 1981. What's a Google? <laughs> um... It's a computer. Ah. It's a really, really big computer. You're a computer. Um. Well, hurry up with those punch cards. He did a big brawl in 1980. Yeah, and did any of us see or hear of that before now? Probably not. Battle Creek brawl, maybe? No. Anyway, so we send in this criminal that everyone knows of, that everyone respects, but then no one believes is alive, and he gets the president out through everything. All these crazy situations on a prison island. Huh? Huh? I mean... Huh? It's, it's, that sounds plausible. Like, it could be a good movie. I'll tell you what. I'll get my buddy Lee Van Cleef to be in this movie. Huh? Huh? Uh, Everybody loves Lee Van sure. Cleef. Sure. Sure, yeah. He's, 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 he's big enough now. Yeah, right? he had a pretty good uh, uprising in the 70s. He's got a big career under his belt. <laughs> yep. Anyway, that's uh. There we go. That's a that's a pretty good pitch. That's good. It yeah. was good. Yeah. It's a good pitch. Too bad the movie wasn't good. I mean, now let's take this pitch and and compare it to the trailer that we watched. The trailer makes the movie seem so much edgier than it actually is. But also in the same way that '80s dictation over the trailers, it just really I don't know. Trailers seem to be taken away when you get the voiceover like that i seem to be think remembering it's a lot cooler but the inner world is uh it's corny these days i think it's memeable these days yeah yeah, yeah. uh-uh i want to see more movies do in a world yeah, there, there's, there's kind of a shortage of that nowadays because then everyone would be like oh he's doing it he's <laughs> but doing you don't it. be able to do it for like 
sar sarcastic reasons. In a world where only one man can wear pants. See? Like, every third sentence has to start with, In a world. Then, by the time you're done with that one trailer, everyone would be like, All right, cool. <laughs> that was fun. We're done with We're that good. Let's again. try the new thing. Explosions. I thought that the, the trailer did a damn good job of not giving away the plot. That, yes, it, that was the one thing that I did make a note of. Yeah, it, it really did a good job of setting up the tone, the theming, everything. Just nothing crazy given away. I thought it was great. I honestly thought it was a great trailer. In fact, had they started off the movie with, this is the uh, setup, because the trailer was, what, a minute and a half they took 30 seconds to tell you that Manhattan was on lockdown, yada, yada. And they took about f it, what felt like 15 minutes to set that up during the movie. So if they could just cut out that 15 minutes and give us the setup there. And if you're going to give us exposition as well as, uh, yeah, if you're going to give it ex exposition, you might as well exposition us to the point where we don't have to watch a lot of people walking around. They did a lot of long opening shots. I think that's the problem. Like when uh, they first introduced Snake, he's jumping off a bus and walking in. They've showed him walking all the way from the bus to the entrance of the police station or whatever that was. And it, uh, it was a long walk. They're establishing he's cool. Yeah. You got to get that walk. It, you got to get that Kurt Russell it takes, saunter. They took way too long. Like, <laughs> you can establish that much quicker than oh. walking through the entirety of a military base. I was going to ask you, Dan, how did you enjoy that opening uh, title? titles um here's my note <laughs> note for that quote holy shit what is this opening credits bullshit i stand corrected this is worse than black <laughs> <laughs> oh so excited to get your take on nothing that. quite like john carpenter having his name three times in two and a half minutes display on a black screen now i will say i got really bored on the uh, first watch through of this movie. It was pretty awful. Started making riff jokes about it. But then on the second view through, it wasn't nearly as awful as I uh, had remembered. Um, I picked up on a whole bunch of other things because I was trying to figure out what the hell they were doing with that intro sequence. And I kind of had it figured out then, yeah. and I was much more engaged in the movie, which made it less boring. But still about halfway through, I was still uh, struggling to uh, try to even take notes, which was what the second viewing was for. I don't know how to put it into words. I feel like the movie shot very well. I feel like the cinematography is very well done in this movie. I just feel like it's definitely a piece of its time. It's got that Running Man-esque feel to it. It's kind of, it, it just, it's, it's tough to sit through now. Maybe if I had seen this for the first time back in like the 90s, when everybody else was talking about it in my friend's group then maybe but i i don't know i i love the way the film is shot it's just it doesn't flow very well so since we're taking the lead of dan and being negative nancy's here <laughs> i mean i have i have two notes for okay. for favorite moments yeah the first one's a plot hole what there's no plot holes and the second one the second one is ernest borgnine well, ernest borgnine is amazing yeah he really brought the whole movie together during the uh, slumps you could always count on Ernest Borgnine just randomly showing up and stopping in a convenient spot with his taxi all right do we have any favorite things or positives oh absolutely I have, I have two so Ken go ahead okay so I really like and this is probably because I did some reading up uh, trying to figure out if there was anything cool in this movie uh, <laughs> what 
So first thing I noticed on the second walkthrough is how much I love the font of the science in the police station. Yes. It's got that cool retro futurism look to it. Like, like that's what they just assumed future text would look like. And then Snake Plissken, <laughs> while he's talking in the police station originally, I'm right where the, uh, with, uh, what's his name again? Van, Van Trapp? Van Cleef. Van Cleef. Van Cleef. Van Cleef. Van Cleef's like, I'm ready to kick your uh, ass out of the Von world. Von Trapps are a different movie. Oh, yeah, I know. Sound of music. Uh, he, where uh, Van Cleef says, I'm about to kick your ass out of this world, which is an amazing line, as well as Snake saying, get a new president. And then after he uh, gets this whole tough man persona going on, and he sits down in the... Uh, right office room after he gets his jet finally puts his jacket back on he sits down they tell him to take off his jacket and he says i don't like needles i was like that's <laughs> yeah really <laughs> so I, it was some interesting uh interesting takes there but also uh i shouldn't have looked at my notes because i had something else in my head that i really liked i did like the uh him bringing in the uh the the the, the thing i said earlier with the with the zombie-esque mode yeah ernest borgnine in his cab having fun yeah no i i love that whole sequence like just when the lady gets pulled through the floor it's like oh shit it's on and just him stumbling trying to get away from everyone but then nothing goes with that i feel my the problem here that i have with this movie is that it doesn't pick a direction and go it just kind of does this like flailing circle to get to the end of the plot yeah i could see that and had they stuck with the like okay this the the city is now infested with a bunch of ravenous human beings who like to eat other human beings cool let's stick with that okay uh, here's the deal so we have that subset of people. I sat there through the first half of the movie being like, where do people get food from? This thing's <laughs> been going on for like 10 years. And somehow they're still getting gas out of a oil derrick in the brain's house. I'm willing to look past that. Maybe he's hit a gas line and is able to suction some out. How quickly were they able to put up the walls? Because like... Those were some huge walls. There's a lot of stuff left in big walls and there's there's a lot of stuff left in Manhattan. Did they Did they really just like power through building these 40 to 50 foot walls they they had to have yeah you can't just throw a bunch of criminals into a unfinished prison but that would take years to complete it's a little bit insane i wasn't even thinking about that just the food so then so you got john carpenter he does his uh horror thing with the people and then uh ernest borgnine comes in and says yeah they'll strip a body in 10 seconds flat so you're like oh okay so some of the population has reduced themselves to cannibalism, which the cannibals don't eat each other because zombie rules. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. then uh, but then they're also sectioned off to their own area where they know that, like, the people with weapons aren't going to be. This is going to be where the new people randomly wander into town. Yeah, there's zombies. And the zombies only come out at night. Well, we don't know that. This movie took place over, like, well, 12 hours, but he fell asleep half or 24 hours, but he fell asleep during the day. So the movie was completely at night. I fell asleep. He was knocked out. Anyway, I forgot the other things I like. I'll, I'll probably remember them and bring them up later. <laughs> Go ahead, Rothy. I don't know. One of my favorite parts, hands down, is the uh, the paper wall. Oh, yes. So <laughs> good. As he's getting away from the zombies, just, you know, a dramatic shot. Powering through gunshots, making that man-sized hole in the wall. And then he just jumps through, essentially, what's just paper. Oh, <laughs> foam. You can see it. It's just, when he jumps out the other side, it was clearly foam. And, and again, I just... I really feel like that's just because that's what they had to work with in 1981. But it's really, it was it's cheap, so it's easy to work with, and you don't have to worry about hurting your people. Exactly, exactly. It's It did its job, but it's funny to watch now and just cackle at. Yeah, 
Also, I have this at the top of my list because this is going to stand out for every John Carpenter film for me. I love the music. Yeah, no co- no complaints for the music. John Carpenter no makes his own there. music. Yeah, I mean, he makes his own music. He does his own scores for his movies. Every every time you watch a John Carpenter movie, you can tell he's just having fun doing the music for the scenes and doing the, mu- the music for the movies. And it's it's just another one that I really enjoy. The opening titles might be boring and bland and nothing might not, might not be going on, but I like the song. And then same thing with the rest of the music throughout the whole movie. I, I like the music that he did for it. It's good. Yeah, no real complaints on the music for me. It's a bit of that grungy industrial type uh, trash can banging music, but it fits the theme well. I like that. Even though there's not many guns in this movie, they all have scopes. Yes. Unnecessary yes. scopes. So Necessary. The main... They don't ever yeah, use them. The... <laughs> Snake's weapon is an Uzi. Of course, the 80s go-to gun, but it has a huge uh-huh. silencer on it and a huge hunting scope. And I'm just like, yes, thank you, movie. This is not productive at all for but a new damn, it looks but good. But thank you. I love this. I love how that gun changes volume based on convenience. So when he's shooting <laughs> uh, dead people, it stays quiet. Not the dead people. They're not zombies. They're just uh, hungry, the hungry people. Oh, sure, sure. It's nice and quiet. And then when the, uh, when the Duke picks it up later and he's shooting it at the old president, all of a sudden it's super loud and you can hear it from blocks That's because he's the Duke. He's probably squeezing that trigger harder than Snake. <laughs> that's that's not how gun science works. Hey, hey, hey. Are you arguing against an Uzi with a scope? Yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> or a revolver shooting at least seven shots before uh, this scene cuts so you don't know whether or not they have a chance to reload it. They never reloaded the yeah. movie. They never reload that gun on camera. I caught camera. that. It's- Especially when she's on the bridge later on and firing at the Duke. And I think it's seven I counted shots. seven so in like, that scene. It was seven, because I expected it to stop at six or five, but when it hit seven, I'm like, wait, wait, and then it was over before I had a chance to think about it. <laughs> it's a revolver, guys. It, uh-huh. it's, yes. it, it, it's a It's a revolver. I have notes about the guns sounding not proper. Dan, yes. <laughs> uh, I remember the other thing I liked, and it was because I looked it up on the internet. Uh, when he's flying the glider into town, and you look at the green wireframe of going into the city that's a really cool effect do you guys know how he did that no i was actually thinking about that i thought maybe early cgi but being 1981 no way that would have been super early yeah so like fluorescent paint outlines of buildings some sort i have no idea yeah close they had a model of new york built and then they uh put uh reflective tape on the building and then oh did a uh, uv light source to glow make the paint the tape glow and that's pretty else cool. okay. that warms nice. the cockles of my cold movie heart <laughs> i hate this movie Good. a little bit less now because of this this tidbit of information see see that should really tell you why you maybe don't like a lot of the stuff that's what they had to do for the special effect of that specifically. That's how old this movie is. John Carpenter wanted to do CGI, but it was too expensive. So they came up with that idea. And I think it looks really cool, especially when you look at it knowing that. You're like, oh, shoot, that is actually a really good wireframe of a town. It still seems a little silly to have a wireframe, but it's mm-hmm. cool. It looks futuristic kind of back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was, I was honestly thinking it might have been early CGI, but then I realized that it was too early. So I didn't think about how they did it, but it was in my mind while I was watching it, just thinking, wow, this looks really good. 
Yeah. So I just dismissed it and didn't think anything further, but that's cool to know. Now, there were some confusing things when you're looking at the movie, like when the helicopter, right in the beginning, when the helicopter is flying over the Green River, it looks, something is definitely not right it's there. The, it's like it's they, the matte painting in the background. Okay. It's, it's flat. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then they put the helicopter and the river over the top of that. It's like, is that two separate? I don't know. I will say, though, I did enjoy not having any seam shakes. Thinking back to Short Circuit. So, like, them getting off the bus going into the building during the thunderstorm, where they obviously painted a thunderstorm in the background, or they had the matte painting of the building, whichever they did. The sink seam between those two, I mean, it just shook like freaking crazy. You could obviously tell that it wasn't the same place, and that both pieces that they had just did not mesh well together. I never really got that from this movie. With everything being practical, and with everything being matte paintings and physical sets, there's some that stand out as flat, yes, but at least the composition between the two never made it look like there was a noticeable waving line so i, I appreciate the things hell you can out of the hide when that. you make a movie set at nighttime jurassic park oh, yeah f- f- uh shot at night for four months people on the working on the movie never saw daylight for four months oof wow but as to those screen shakes like around the helicopter i noticed some black lines like ba- uh old school i don't know it's gonna say bad green screen but the old school green screen where you could tell it was like superimposed over that also when the glider's falling off of the world trade center it was also kind of like black lines around the outsider maybe it was just the uh shading was slightly different than the what it was in front of yep hmm. i didn't hmm. catch that those are the two big ones that stuck out to me as just kind of awkward gotcha gotcha other than that it was a it was a pretty fu- pretty good looking movie nice and grungy like you'd expect from a bunch of people stuck in manhattan yeah, yeah. i like duke's vehicle because of the chandeliers <laughs> And the hydraulics. <laughs> that and just the fact that it had a huge base as it strolled through town and yep. not caring. I was just like, yeah. Yep. That is actually pretty futuristic. I could 100% see somebody driving something like that around these days. <laughs> I, I like the imagination that went into having the chandeliers on the front of the car. That looked pretty cool. Yeah. It was just a fun design. There was a lot of, oh, there yeah. was a lot of fun things in this movie, but... Uh. One of those fun things is everyone saying, I heard you were dead. Yes. That yes, has to be my favorite part. <laughs> How has everyone heard of Snake Plissken in this move, in this uh, world? Is it because he tried to He robbed rob- a bank, man. He was robbed it, a bank. Was it just the bank? I thought it was Federal Reserve, but I wrote that down like five minutes after it was said. I think that's what it was, yeah. It sounds like he did something like in a war that helped turn the tides against russia or something like that in leningrad yeah yeah so he had something on the national stage he did that everyone keeps uh, or at least lee van cleef was referencing he did a lot yeah every time he gave him something like you'd be flying in the uh glider they had a name for the glider oh yeah i forget what it was called just like in leningrad it was, wasn't it something like jet glider, like two terms that just really don't go together? Rocket glider or something. <laughs> yeah, something weird like that, because it's supposed to be this silent gliding plane with no propulsion, and yet, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Yet he's flying through <laughs> relatively short buildings and then still has enough inertia to get all the way up to the top of the World Trade Center. Yes, along with that horrible whooshing sound. <laughs> it reminded me of, and that's probably because I've been playing too much Animal Crossing. The the, the, the balloons. balloons. Yep. 
Yes, absolutely. I could totally <laughs> see that. So since we're on the uh, conversation point of video games, is Snake Plissken the inspiration Solid for Solid Snake? Yes. I thought it was. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yeah, the guy who came up with Metal Gear Solid said he's inspired by Snake Plissken. And that uh, mm-hmm. launched an almost uh, lawsuit that he had to address. Yeah. Yep. Kojima. Kojima's a huge film buff. He has seen a lot and loves a lot, so he takes a lot of inspiration from movies, and that is absolutely the inspiration for Solid Snake. I actually wonder where the, uh, if there were any inspirations for Death Stranding, where they came from. I don't know. He may have stopped the direct ripoff of characters after this just because it's uh it's not financially good for it's you. high stakes especially these days back in 1981 maybe not but ips didn't matter back in 1981 what? <laughs> i like that on this island of prisoners that a homegrown drag show is popular and people go to see it i was entertained by oh that. especially Ernest. he was he was really entertained he wanted to see that show so bad i was curious if that was actually a real show or if it was something they came up with down there either way i'm happy they have something to entertain themselves oh, yeah. with and i was thinking back after that i was like there's not a lot of women in this here prison but then there's like yeah there's someone who's eaten there's what's her name the main squeeze maggie maggie that's her name it's like yeah there's still yeah nope it's mostly a bunch of dudes oh and then there was the possible dead one underneath that part confused and made me uncomfortable yeah it should have made you uncomfortable yeah yeah but i suppose it's a good way to show you don't want to be in this place people don't joke around i guess well do we have any more good things that we want to talk about or should we move on to the you know the things that make us go well yeah yeah okay Dan, do you want to lead off? You're good at this part. Okay. <laughs> um, the biggest thing that got me was right at the beginning. Manhattan is surprisingly calm for there being a jet plane crash in it. I see what you're saying. Oh. Yeah. oh I mean, I in their defense, 9-11 building, right? hadn't happened yet. Yeah, it was a long way off. Yeah. So yeah, it should feel uncomfortable watching it now, but that shouldn't detract the movie at all. <laughs> But I get what you're saying, Dan. It no pulls, one in town really seems of, to care. Nope, cool. A plane yeah. crashed. Whatever. There's not nearly enough fire or chaos or anything. Yeah. Oh I, no, it's I, just gone. I like to I like how they referred to Air Force One as a tiny A airline. small jet. A, a small, small jet. jet. And it. I'm like, was Air Force One a smaller jet in And then you're like, oh, maybe they're just trying to be, you know, candid. Like, hey, we need to talk over here. Small jet. And so he brings them in there. He's like, oh, the Air Force One. But then you get into town and the damage isn't all that great. Like with all the fire, it's very well kept into one area. With The plane is it doesn't look like crashed in the middle of a street. <laughs> Correct. It doesn't look like it crashed in a building like it did into in the uh, animation that they had while they were watching it with the pod dropping out. Yeah, and I, I swear I caught the change of planes, but I could be mistaken. I kind of want to go back and look at this for myself. But I swear when the plane was shown flying, it was one of the styles of planes that had both engines up by the, the rudder. 
on the back of the plane. And then in the 3D model and in the street view, there were engines under the wings. So I feel like the effects didn't sync up and I feel like they had different versions of the plane. Maybe the effects guys didn't know, but I swear that it was different. Now I kind of want to go back and check. Well, the airplane itself that was shown in the movie wasn't a, a 747 style plane that we are used to seeing as Air Force One. This was something that was pre- that seven jumbo 747 yep. model that we come to think of as Air Force One. In real life, the the plane that was Air Force One was smaller than what Air Force One is now. I did I did look at that after I heard that line. Yeah, I was looking up pictures, and so is Andy. It looks like we can confirm in flight that the engines were back by the tail. But below the window yeah. line weird oh they are different they are using different images that's great anyway that's i don't so know good. why that bothers me so much but it really did probably because i'm a stickler for attention to detail <laughs> it feels like it's an oversight how did somebody manage to b- bumble this one of all the things to bumble just the overall plane design <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a silly thing to do it's hard to say but i'm guessing because airplanes are expensive they probably did what they could like, we have this airplane flying, let's use this one. We can only get our hands on a gutted out one that's broke, that's got engines here. Let's let's put it here. Hey, maybe in the future the engines on a plane move. Whoa! Or maybe the crash. It just, they had more inertia and air flow and the, they flew up by the wings for the crash <laughs> after it hit down. That's optimistic. Uh, so... On a related note to Air Force One having the uh, President of the United States of America plastered across the side of it, making it an easy target, but I think the current one does as well. How about everything else that the President has that is also branded President of the United States of yeah, America? Yeah, like his pod. Including his signet <laughs> His signet ring. ring, his pod, just like... Yeah. That's yeah, like a stamp. His bright red pod, which sends just him down into a dangerous area. You'd feel like he would at least have another pod there so he could have one escort, Secret Service escort, if something happens, you know? I can't grasp the utility of having an escape pod for one person on a plane with a crew above. Because he's the president, Dan. He's the most important He guy. is the president, but you'd figure. Gotta let him get down there. But ejecting just the president into dangerous territory is not something you want to do. Which I would stand by that, considering he did get himself taken right away. But if you look towards the end of the movie... He does hold his own pretty well with a machine gun. Once he has a machine gun, sure. I'll give you that. He was kind of a jerk in that scene because he stops the winch and is like, all right, Snake, you're just going to be bait for a second here while I draw out the Duke and shoot him. All right, now I'll help you back up. was always a jerk, apart from when he first gets rescued because, you know, he's in a bad situation and just happy that anyone's there to get him out of this crap. But even at the end of the movie, he uh, sits there all... Like Being a, made up, all smug-like. Yeah, a smug politician where he just says, you know, the li- lines that you think people want to hear, but with nothing behind them. You mean he's Mayor- Major Charles Emerson Winchester the Third? I don't know what that means. The MASH character. Get out of here, dude. Okay. <laughs> 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 yeah, and um like he, Snake Plissken asks him a weird question, which is how would you feel about the people who died for you? And he's like, "Oh, I'd like to meet them. They I would sincerely like to meet anyone who sacrificed their life for this great country." Like, oof. Just a generic ass answer. Yeah, yeah that's So he he was kind of a jerk and part at the end of the movie kind of wishes he died, but also it's 
probably Snake trying to uh, gauge whether he gives him the real tape or uh, lets him hang dry That's with exactly and destroy what it was. the exactly. existing yeah. tape. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Nice little balance check. I, I just feel bad for humanity in general because he trashes the tape that has the secrets to fusion on it. Yep. <laughs> we there could have been so much energy independence going on, but he trashed it. I'm like, I get it why he did that, but the same token, we're all going to suffer because of that. Uh, people back then didn't understand the difference between fusion and fission. I don't think the president would have the only copy. He snuck it out of the meetings, and that's why he was in air and stuff like that. He was trying to get away to pull these tapes out to show that these other world leaders were going to hoard this technology and not share it with everyone. I think that's what they were setting setting up. up. He was going to give away the secret to fusion to create peace. Exposing somebody and creating war is not creating peace. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, head tilts everywhere that's just one of them it doesn't make full sense aha plot but, hole. you know <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of weird for me seeing donald pleasance in this movie too because i've only really grown up with him as an actor and with his character in halloween as dr loomis so seeing him as the president and kind of like a almost like a more leading of a role because i know loomis was very prevalent in the first halloween movie but then starts to kind of not be as noticeable in the sequels but having him in as kind of like a almost a leading role in this movie was kind of strange for me it's just kind of like that background guy he's he's the main guy now so the first time i saw this this is kind of like oh i appreciate him as loomis but as the president i i don't know how i feel about him i think you need to go back and watch some mash some mash mash Miss Mash. I think you yeah. need to go back and watch Escape from L.A. Never. It's got Steve Buscemi. Don't care. Which confused the shit out of me. I watched Escape from L.A. first, like I said, and Steve Buscemi's in that movie, right? Oh. That dude in this movie looks exactly like Steve Buscemi, but it's not. Who the hell is that random guy with the big bug eyes dressed up like fucking Peter Pan running around? <laughs> I was going to say the laughing guy? Yes, the laughing guy. I was so confused when I watched the movies in the wrong order. Because I was like, oh, Steve Buscemi's in this one too. And then I came to realize, that's that's not Steve Buscemi? Like, it just, it shocked I was me. thinking that that was the Duke after they started talking about the Duke. Because I was like, wait a minute. Because, yeah, you don't know who the guy is. And then he's in the backseat of the Duke's vehicle. And you're like, so yes. is that the Duke? Because that's... That's not who you'd expect to be the Duke. Yes, I had the exact same thought, and then the Duke steps out from the front, and it's just like, oh, oh, That's okay. correct. <laughs> I'll put that guy on my bad list. He played the part well. I don't want to say anything bad about the actor himself, but those roles, the sidekick who does a lot of laughing and obnoxious things is one of my least favorite things in a movie. Agreed. But he did take the tape. Ever since... Uh, Return of the Jedi with Jabba's little parrot. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's a good comparison. That parrot has a name. I can't remember what his name is, though. Yes, and it's also not a parrot. But it gets the idea across. <laughs> In this movie, the one thing that kept pulling me out of the whole situation that they kept trying to put you into was the control room where uh, the Van Cleef character and all the people off the island were in their control center. Every time I saw those scenes, it felt like I was watching the movie Airplane. (laughs) You know, now that you're talking about it, I agree. Those scenes bothered me for a reason, and I couldn't figure it out 
and now that you've said something, yeah, huh? They just need those witty, you know, and Leon's getting larger moments. Jabba's pet was salacious bee crumb. Ah, uh, yes. How could we forget? All salacious. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you got the toy, his name is on the toy. True. That's where 90% of unknown characters got their names. <laughs> He's a Kowakian monkey lizard. Oh, my Ugh. God. It's a parrot. <laughs> Worked as a court adjuster for the court of gi- crime lord Jabba. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. In this movie, I'm glad... Snake gave up the whole, I'm talking like this because I'm cool. You know, it's like, stop whispering. Stop Enunciate. Enunciate, damn yeah. it. Just talk yeah, like a no normal person. Cool. You're you're cool enough as it is. And after a certain point, he stopped talking like that. So I was like, good. You don't need to keep that Do you think it would be a character choice that he wants to be a badass around any of the uh, people who are he sees as authority? And then Not anyone who may be able to be useful, he decides to play it nice and uh, play... Not throw on the facade. Yeah. Play things straight. Because he was very open with information that you would normally think of people being uh, a little bit cagey to give up. Like, I'm down here for the president. Have you seen him? Tell me, have you seen him? <laughs> this first person he gets to talk to. I think a majority of that happens to be just at the beginning of the film, he really only gives a shit about himself and wants those things out of his neck. Yeah. Do you want to talk about those things quick? Yeah, okay. let's talk about those things in his uh, neck. Let's backpedal a little bit here and talk about the rest of the things that he gets in that area. And also, so we go with the sure. president's tracer bangle. That thing is comically large, but for 80s tech with the uh, <laughs> amount of stuff that you'd have stick in there, sure. And then, yep. just like Leningrad, except for this one has a tracer, he pops open uh, the one that Kurt Russell will be wearing. And it's got a button, and it's a 15-minute tracer. Cool. They got these... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got some pretty low-tech stuff. He's got stuff. precedent for comically large items. I loved it. By our yes, standard. I loved it. Yet they can make the tiniest explosives to put in his neck. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so dumb, it's good. They won't explode your head. They're just big enough to burst your arteries. So is it like a just an oversized Alka-Seltzer tab? It's a small thing in a gel capsule that dissolves over time, and then after a certain point, a heat sensor inside it will trigger the explosion, which will cause a pinhead explosion. But still, from the tech I saw in that movie, the heat sensor and the explosion, I feel like that would have to be something larger than what they have. Or something that would leave, leave a mark when it's inserted into your yeah. neck. I like that it's deactivated with x-rays. How convenient. How does this work? Yeah. Yeah, let's just uh, irradiate the entirety of the, your brainstem. That'll but be good. But like a good 80s movie, he they inject them with those injection guns. I love those injection guns. Yes. Even to this day. Those are so cool. Those are some pretty nice injection guns. <laughs> Overall, I have the feeling I, I walked away from Escape from New York with the feeling that this was a really cool brainstorming session that they plotted out and made something coherent out of. And they got to maybe draft two or three and everyone thought it was cool. So they had to make it right away. You got to make it while you still got your funds. What ended up happening is that it has all these rough edges that kind of make you feel that things are incomplete or that ideas were thrown into the mix and then never fully developed 
by the time the movie's done. And it, like it was mentioned earlier, the people underground that come out and eat people just kind of happen to be there to push him forward at the beginning and then done, gone. Situations pop up yep. where suddenly now, oh, Central Park is where they drop all the food for the people on the island. All right, well, th that only comes into play because they needed a place to get waved down. And also, why are you allowing yourselves to be waved down by a large mob of prisoners? Oh, yeah. Uh, that part kind of bothered me. Like, Not a oh. smart idea. Oh, they're waving at us. They want us to land. Like, you're overly optimistic <laughs> about this. You know what this place is, right? <laughs> But it's not like it's going in the wrong direction in my mind. I think that this movie was a great groundwork that needed more time to bake. So if you want that version, you can read the novelization, which came out three years later. <gasps> Is that going to be grounds for a reboot? Apparently in 2007, they were trying to do a re reboot and they... Uh, mm. Attempted to get uh, Gerard Butler as Snake Plissken. It wasn't received well. Oh, I no. can't imagine his face, but that doesn't sound like a name I would oh, think no. of. 300, oh. 300 King Leonidas. Okay, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> eh? Didn't they reboot Escape from L.A.? No. That's bad. Maybe that's movie. what I, I saw think that so. was for. I did see that Robert Rodriguez was... Uh, slated to direct uh, remake in 2017. That's a great choice. I would love to see that. I can't think. Yeah, I can't think of a better director enjoy, for that. I enjoy Rodriguez movies. I definitely. That's watch amazing. It. Well, since I yelled reboot, let's uh, you know dig into this. I think this is a great movie to reboot. Absolutely. It. It. Yes. Oh, I, it was Assault on Precinct 13 that got uh, rebooted. Like seven just years recently. ago. But yeah, but yeah. I think this movie has all the makings of. of giving a reboot a really good groundwork and then allowing the people to play on top of it yes absolutely oh, okay. yeah now would we would we reboot it within the time period in which it was set because there hasn't been a lot of like movies set in the past recently I... the the, the well, there's, recent there's past. a lot of like tv shows that do that these days but i think one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of that is because you're asking people to take on an alternate reality history and that's more difficult for people to take on than an alternate reality future future true, true. Yep. uh man in the high castle is good because you're almost going back a hundred years now to go to world war ii comes out a different way so you you have a good wealth of time but i i think that if we do a 1990s alternate reality it's it's gonna be hard to pitch to people with money yeah yeah i guess that makes sense i think sense. the hard thing too is technology's advanced so much since this movie was made in terms of how you're gonna keep the narrative going of how he has absolutely no idea how to find the president and he has to rely on basically his instincts and talking to people and getting leads and stuff. I don't know, like, like what do we, what do you propose? Like, there's a bubble over New York that doesn't allow for cell phone communication or GPS, things like that. Rip the president out. Yeah, that's not. It, don't even make it about the president. I think that's kind it's of a. It's just it's instead a cliche. of going in, he's already in the prison, and it's just him escaping. You can replace the president with anything. The president is a MacGuffin. It's just an item to push the story yeah, it just forward. just happened to be the president. He just happened true. to have the fusion things. That 
can be anything, really. Yeah. So let's change it to... That's important. Yeah, let's change it to something that uh, they this huge prison island, of course, has been there for 10, 30 years. Doesn't, doesn't matter how long it's been there. There's a society there now, and they have their own scientists, and they've been working on something, and now they have some sort of technology that's going to threaten the people outside of the prison. So he has to go in and disrupt that, get that out, uh, say that there's someone there that's uh, their man on the inside that's feeding this information out. You know, there's it's something simple like that. I'm not going to write this could, movie right now. But, but... But Joe, you said that's what they did. Well, yeah, but we're already... That's uh, what it feels like they did. We're in deep on this episode, and if I start brainstorming a whole movie for us, that's going to be like another 50 minutes here to 60 all right, minutes. All right. so, so let's think about this then. Uh, we got to get a duke. We got to get a duke again. Who'd, who'd be a good duke? A future duke? Idris Elba? Damn, that's... yeah. Like he wouldn't have to be a stereo like a stereotypical black thug. The though. Duke no, isn't a stereotypical black thug. Yeah. True. It's up for interpretation. I like the idea of someone who has control of society, not so much a strong arm person. More like the, a Lex Luthor. Yeah, you want to appease this person. You want to work for this person. So yeah. I think yeah. it'd be good. I think it's the timing is right. Uh, yeah, I agree. The timing's right. The movie drastically needs to be redeemed i think the all-important question here is digitally de-aged kurt russell <laughs> no 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 snake plissken again <laughs> or... what if her... no <laughs> kurt, well, kurt russell carl should, weathers russell should have carl some weathers. kind of like it should be a sequel so sequel slash reboot like like you're picturing snake plissken like taking his eye patch off and hanging it on the new guy and saying well, you're, no, he's you're... not like <laughs> Isn't that isn't that how this is the the same place that we go to every time we do a reboot? The original <laughs> the original characters ends up passing the torch to a younger actor. Yeah, yeah, because everybody's got that I everybody's got that scene ingrained in their mind of that damn hat blowing across the floor. And I'm Indy so glad I've up. never seen that movie. Oh no, Indiana oh, Jones. No, oh. Oh. Yeah. Sooner or later, I'll probably watch it just for to watch the mess. Joe, do it. It's don't, not nearly as it. bad as don't, they're making it out to sound. It's, don't do it. It's it's a pretty don't fun. It, it's a pretty damn fun movie. There's a pretty bad scene right off the bat, but then the movie's actually pretty okay until you get to the monkeys the and then the ending. Yes, the monkeys are kind of the signal of the downfall. <laughs> Aren't they always? Yep. God, especially in twelve monkeys. Because then you know the world's gonna end. I say maybe we have Kurt Russell be the Duke. That would be a great Ooh, callback. That'd be a good. That'd be a great callback. Yes. I agree. And then you have Keith or Sutherland playing really Snake Plissken. <laughs> so now we're just no. shuffling people who are involved with Metal Gear. No. Okay. <laughs> so in the end, uh, did Dan doesn't like it? But how did how did the rest of you guys feel about it after watching? I still enjoyed it. Um, it's not my favorite John Carpenter movie. I don't even own it. I own my favorites. I have Halloween. I have They Live. All that good stuff. But I, I still enjoyed it. I thought it was a good, well-shot movie, like I said. Really well-done movie. It's just, it's definitely showing its age. And it definitely needs a, a facelift pretty badly. <laughs> but I appreciate it for what it is. What if we had Ryan Gosling be Snake no. Plissken? That is, he can be the laughing sidekick. Yeah. Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington. Uh, we could have, yeah. we could have, um, Kit Harrington would be okay. Actually, Kit Harrington would fit pretty well. Other than that, we could have uh, Gilbert Godfrey be, uh, <laughs> or Borstein's character. 
I was. You had mentioned um, the uh, I can't remember his name, but I instantly saw him as uh, Cabby, uh, the boxing guy. Played Apollo Creed. Oh, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers <laughs> would be a great Cabby. Actually, yes, he would be. Holy shit! I can picture his voice. I can picture his mannerisms. I'd love it. I would love it. I'd be on board. What if we had the guy who played Jamie Lannister to be Snake? Sh- sure. I mean. I'm literally looking at a, a, a website of. You're just looking for someone who could look just like Kurt who, Russell who's gonna right look now. Look badass with long hair and a. Uh, Timothy Oliphant. Giving him too many tries. <laughs> I, I agree. They keep trying to make Timothy and Oliphant. He's a fine. Thing. <laughs> this is everything. Or. Right. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. She's too busy making movies that are quiet. This website says that Oscar Isaac would be the person to play Snake. Out of 15 actors, Oscar Isaac is the top of the list. Sure. Eh, maybe. I guess. I don't know. You might do all right. Well, that's just like the internet's opinion, man. Yep. Oh, I mean, the list came from Screen Rant. Oh, oh. How about the guy who played Peter McAllister? Peter? The dad? You want him to be Snake? Yeah, Home Alone. Yes. Are you sure? I was thinking Billy from Stranger Things. Yeah, Billy would be pretty good, actually. Oh, yeah, Billy would be good. Peter Dinklage. (laughs) Anyway. John Hurd. Jason Momoa. Okay, I, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, could. Daniel you know, Radcliffe. I have to say, Jason Momoa is poised to be the replacement for Arnold Schwarzenegger if he wants to be. He could be the big, muscly action hero man that's in every movie, that shoots all the guns, kills all the bad guys, and says all the witty one-liners Absolutely. if he wants it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But he yeah. doesn't want to. He wants to be the lighthearted... Yeah, Schwarzenegger is also lighthearted at times, depending on which movie you watch. So you're saying Jason Momoa should be in the reboot of Twins. And Peter Dink? Or the reboot of Kindergarten Peter Cop. Dinklage be uh, the Danny DeVito? Exactly, Peter... <laughs> That's exactly where I was going. Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage and Jason Momoa. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. <laughs> and on that note, we have completed our time in the prison that was escaped from New York. Rewound and rebooted. If you could like, comment, subscribe, that helps our YouTube algorithm. If you could share this episode or others with your friends, loved ones, or enemies who also love 80s or 90s movies, that would help us greatly. And you need to bring them back in two weeks when we rewind and reboot again! Nice boots. Mm. Nice reboots. <laughs> nice. <laughs>